Chapter Fifteen of A Woman's War by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen. There is little that is beautiful in death, save perhaps in the faces of children and those taken in the heyday of their youth. As in life the majority of mortals are ugly and grotesque, so in death the body grows in repulsiveness as it nears the grave. The lily corpse with the angelic smile is rarely seen, save perhaps by irresponsible poets. Blotched and stiff, shrunken or inflated, the nameless thing welcomes putrefaction and decay. Beauty of outline is lost to the limbs, the bones show at the joints, the muscles stand out in stiff and unnatural relief. Nothing but the glamour of sentiment preserves its ruined tabernacle of the flesh from being designated as a carcass. At Boland's farm the house had that sickly and indescribable smell of death. Farmer Baxter's bullocks grazed peacefully in the great fourteen-acre lot to the east of the garden. The hens clucked and scratched in the rickyard. The pigs sucked and paddled in the swill. The labourers were at work as though their master was still alive to curse them across the fields and hedgerows. The soil pays no heed to death. It is a natural occurrence. Only we human beings elevate it into an incident of singularity and note. The farmhands who pass through the yard cast curious and awed looks at the darkened windows of the house. Mrs. Baxter had given them their orders, and they knew there would be no shirking where that lady was concerned. A couple of traps were standing before the garden gate, and in the death chamber two intent figures bent over the bed that had been drawn close to the open window. The sun shone upon the body, a mere mountain of flesh, loathsome, gaping, flatulent, lying naked from loins to chin. In death, this carcass seemed to dishonour all the higher aspirations of the race. A myriad organisms were usurping the tissues that had worked the will of what men call the soul. Dr. Brimley of Cossington, a little bespectable cherub of a man, held back the yellow flaps of fat-laden skin while his confrere groped and delved within the cavity. There was a wrinkle of disgust about Parker Steele's sharp mouth. He had never vanquished that loathing of contact with the nauseous slime of death. The cold and succulent smoothness of the inert tissues repelled his cultured instincts. Yet even the superfine sneer vanished from about his nostrils as he drew out a black and oozing object from the dead man's body. "'Good God, Brimley, look at this!' The spectacled cherub peered at it, puckered up his lips, and gave a whistle. A sponge! Nice mess, eh? Relieved that I haven't the responsibility. Steele's delicate hands were at work again. A sharp exclamation of surprise escaped him as he drew out a pair of artery forceps and held them up to Brimley's gaze. This is a pretty business. Dr. Brimley's eyes seemed to enlarge behind his spectacles confoundedly unpleasant for the operator the man must have lost his head put your hand in here and parker steel guided his confrere's fingers into the cavity 
tell me what you feel brimley groped a moment and then elevated his eyebrows good lord what was murchison at a rent in the bow three inches long we had better have a look at it and the evidence of the sense of vision confirmed the evidence of the sense of touch both men perched themselves on the bed and looked questioningly into each other's eyes success demands a survival of the fittest and in the scramble for gold and reputation men may ignore generosity for egotistical and self-serving cant parker steel did not determine to act against his rival without a struggle he remembered his wife's words and they decided him what are you going to do parker steel looked dr brimley straight in the face there is only one thing to be done he retorted well sir well i have no personal grudge against murchison but before god brimley i can't forgive him this abominable bungling professional feeling or no i can't stretch my conscience to such a lie dr brimley stared and nodded he was somewhat impressed by steele's cultured indignation a professional brutus waxing public-spirited over caesar's body moreover he was no friend of murchison's and was secretly pleased to hear another man assume the moral responsibility of injuring his reputation so will you tell the old lady i take it to be a matter of duty quite so i agree with you steele but it will about smash murchison parker steele moved to the washstand and began to rinse his hands i cannot see how i can give a death certificate he said the man must have been drunk it is a case for the coroner dr brimley puckered his chubby mouth and whistled there is no other conclusion to accept he answered mrs baxter was awaiting the two gentlemen in the darkened parlour dressed in her black silk sabbath gown she had a photograph album on her knee and was chastening her grief by referring to the faded pictures of the past each photograph stood for a season in the late farmer's life tom baxter as a fat and plethoric looking youth of twenty in a braided coat and baggy trousers one hand on a cardboard sundial the other stuffed into a side pocket tom baxter ten years later in his yeomanry uniform mustachioed tight-thighed nursing a carbine with an air of assertive self-satisfaction tom baxter and his bride awkwardly linked together arm in arm toes out top hat and bridal bouquet much in evidence tom baxter fat prosperous and middle-aged smoking his pipe in a corner of the orchard his irish terrier at his feet a snapshot by a friend the widow studied them all with solemn deliberation glancing a little scornfully at her sister harriet who was snivelling over a copy of eliza cook's poems they heard the voices of the two doctors above the sound of a door opening and footsteps descending the stairs parker steel suave quiet and serious as a black cat appeared at the parlour door mrs baxter rose from her chair and signalled to her sister to leave her with parker steel harriet go out sit down doctor and she replaced the album on its pink wool mat in the middle of the circular table harriet absented herself without a murmur miss cook's volume still clasped in her bony fingers 
from the direction of the stables came the plaintive howling of a dog tom baxter's irish terrier peter who had been chained up because he would haunt the landing outside his dead master's room mrs baxter had fallen over the poor beast as he crouched at the top of the stairs and poor peter's loyalty had not saved him from chastisement with the lady's slipper parker steele seated himself on the extreme edge of an armchair a great yellow sunflower in a turkish red antimacassar haloing him like a saint he had assumed an air of studied yet anxious reserve as though the matter in hand required delicate handling well doctor it's all over i suppose steele nodded hearing miss harriet's voice in the distance rasping out endearments to the dead man's dog dr brimley and i have completed the examination poor tom poor tom i can sympathize with you mrs baxter thank you doctor have that dog do howl to be sure and now sir let's come to business the widow sat erect and rigid in her chair her hands clasped in her lap an expression of determined alertness on her face steele student of human nature that he was felt relieved that it was murchison and not he who had incurred the resentment of this hard-fibred woman will you be so good as to tell me doctor just what my husband died of parker steele fidgeted and studied his finger-nails it is rather painful to me he began painful sir to have to confess to a brother doctor's misman misdirection of the case his tactful disinclination reacted electrically upon mrs baxter she leaned forward in her chair and brandished a long forefinger with exultant solemnity just what i thought doctor parker steele cleared his throat and proceeded you understand my professional predicament mrs baxter at the same time i feel it to be my duty just you tell me the plain facts doctor what did my husband die of steele rose from his chair walked to the window and stood there a moment looking out into the garden as though struggling with the ethics and the etiquette of the case frankly mrs baxter and he turned to her with a grieved air i am compelled to admit that this operation hastened your husband's death mrs baxter bumped in her chair doctor i could have sworn it go on i can bear the scandal dr murchison made a very grave mistake he did a sponge and a pair of artery forceps were left in your husband's body as for the operation well the less said of it the better mrs baxter rose and went to the mantel-shelf and taking down a bottle of smelling salts applied them deliberately to either nostril then this man murchison killed my husband parker steele gave an apologetic shrug i have to state facts he explained i cannot swear to what might have happened let them might have alone doctor i've pulled the peas out of the pod and by the holy spirit i'll boil my water in murchison's pot parker steele attempted to pacify her confident in his heart that any such effort would be useless my dear mrs baxter let me explain to you explain what is there to explain this man killed my husband i'll sue him i'll make him pay for it pardon me one word the widow raised her hands and patted steele solemnly on the shoulders 
"'You've done your duty by me, doctor, "'for I reckon it isn't proper to tell tales of the profession. "'Now, listen, I'll relate what Jane Baxter's going to do.' Steele's silence welcomed the confession. "'Well, I'm going to order the market trap out, "'the trap my poor Tom used to drive into Roxton every Monday, "'and Lord have pity on him. "'Yes. "'I'm going straight to call at Lawyer Cranston's. "'Indeed?' and just set him to pull Dr. Murchison's coat from off his back. End of chapter 15